0: that are heading for Children's Church. Before you guys run out, y'all come see me real quick. Kiddos, come see real quick. Come see, come see, come see, come see. Y'all are all so cute. Oh yeah. So church, what I want us to do before they go over, just sometimes I like for us to stop and just do this really quick. Let's pray for them. All right, let's pray for our kids. Let's pray for our leaders as they go next door. You know, this is hopefully the people that take over doing all this from us one day. And it's one of the most important things we do is create a next generation of disciples for Jesus. And so let's pray for them. Can we pray for y'all really quick? Y'all okay with that? They said, well, we're here. So, All right, guys. Well, let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much. Lord, we thank you so much for these kids. We thank you for their parents, Lord, that have a desire for them to know about Jesus. Father God, I just pray that you would just equip and empower empower the parents. Lord, to be disciple makers in their own rights, Lord, not having to have all the answers but just being willing, willing to point to something greater than themselves and point to something that is more eternal, Lord, and that's in you, Christ Jesus and God. So we just pray. I pray for parents, Lord. I pray for strength and courage, Lord, to be disciple makers. Lord, I pray for these kids, Lord. I pray you protect their hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that you would just fix their eyes on you, Lord, and the the minimal things that they may understand now, Lord, just develop them into a deep understanding and And Lord, a love for who you are in your word. Father God, I pray for our leaders this morning that will be sharing your word with them. Lord, I pray you would just bless them, be with them. Lord, mold them, Lord, and use them as a vessel this morning. Lord, we just love you. God, we thank you for this time you've given us, Lord, this time that we don't deserve, Lord. But you invite us into your table to worship you and to feast in your glory. God, we just love you. God, we thank you and praise you in your holy name. to go? All right, y'all free. Go, 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 go. <laughs> his sister's worried about his shoe being untied. Fix your shoe. Church, Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5. a section real quick, and then we'll pray together and just ask God to speak to us through His Word. Let's read the beginning here, starting in verse 1, we're going to read down to verse 4. Numbers chapter 5, verse 1. Says the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they may that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or who has discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out, both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did let's pray father we just thank you lord we thank you for your word god we thank you for these things that you've given us god and worship and and your word god to lead guide and direct us into places and spaces that we desperately need direction father i just pray you bless this time lord let it be your words and not my own god and let everything we do be for your glory and not on our own. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, church, Numbers chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We're going to kind of jump past chapter 4 because chapter 4 kind of reiterates some things that we had already discussed as far as the use of the Levites and that type of thing. But... You know, what we begin to see in chapter 5 is we're going to see a little bit of a shift. We're going to see a little bit of a shift, whereas in uh, leading up to this point, what we've seen God do is we've seen God, you know, we, we saw the census, we saw the organization, we saw all these things that God was doing with the pe- people of Israel to really prepare them to be, be able to begin stepping towards the battles ahead, to be able to acquire the promised land that God had told them was theirs. And so now we begin to see this shift where we're going to see God be a little more specific. Where God's going to really kind of go from the, the, uh, the, from the air look down to the ground, where they are, kind of speaking to them. And begins to teach them about how to deal with some specific things. And so the first thing that we begin to see, and and kind of the idea of this time this morning as we read, I know this sounds really odd, like we're talking about discharges and dead people and all these really gross things, but there's a point to it and there's a reason for it. And uh, some reasons that maybe we don't always think about, that maybe we hyper-spiritualize, but then there is a spiritual element that we need to look at and to see. And so... But ultimately, what we're seeing is that continued nature of God, having concern for his people, leaning down into the spaces and places where they are, not being disconnected, not being not involved, not not caring about what his people are doing and how they're doing it. And so he begins to lay out something. And kind of the theme word of this section is going to be defilement. And I know that sounds like really heavy and deep and, and, and dark, but defilement. And basically defilement is a, another word for that would be like pollution. And so there's going to be two things that we kind of see here that, that, that God is speaking to Moses to instruct the people on. And what he begins to do is he begins to teach them how to deal with defilement. You know, how do we deal with the pollution of our bodies? How do we deal with the pollution of our spirits? How do we deal with the pollution that comes into us? Why? Because of this dirtiness and destructive nature of our world that is caused by sin and its effects. And so, what he begins to do is he begins to teach how do we deal with the pollution that has come into the world because of sin. You know, because that's one thing that levels the playing field for all of us, is that there's no way we escape it affecting us. There's no way that we escape falling into it in our own regards. That sin is there. And it not only affects us us spiritually, it not only affects us mentally, but it affects us physically. And so the first thing that we see here, that we see in these first few verses of Numbers chapter 5, is we see Him talk about the defilement of the body. The defilement of the body. And so he says here, in verse 2, he says, "...put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge or is unclean through contact with the dead." And so immediately we read that, and a lot of people kind of reading it from from a distance would say, well, that's a cruel God, right? Like, that's a cruel God that people have an issue. They have some physical ailment or they've done something, and so God's like pushing them away, right? God's like excluding them from what He's doing. But there's a reason... There's something that's happening here and that we need to understand. And what's so beautiful, you know, I, I, I have a science degree. And so a lot of times going through that scientific kind of field, it was always kind of told that it's like you either have faith or you believe in science. But the reality is, is that the Bible speaks a lot of things that science had to catch up to. You know, and so what God is doing here is he's kind of being the uh, the original CDC, He's laying out some guidelines because he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to protect his people physically. He's trying to protect them. He's giving them instructions long before there was ever any medical instructions. God has given them instructions to protect themselves. You know, in, in a lot of ways, this is echoing some things that we would read in Leviticus 12, 13 and 14. In those chapters there, some instructions uh, when he's speaking of people being ceremonially, uh, ceremonially unclean. And there is a spiritual application here, but I want us to see it more physical first. Because that's what God's speaking to here, specifically, is the physical nature of this pollution or the defilement that sin has caused to the breakdown of the body. But He is teaching His people something here. And so, sometimes, sometimes for us when we're reading Scripture, we need to read it. We need to read it as it truly affects the people and what God was doing. And so he's speaking to a people about something very specific. And he's speaking to them about physical defilement. The defilement of the body. But not only that, he's teaching them and revealing the physical defilement of the body and how to deal with it for the physical health of the people in the camp. Because the things that he's speaking of, these three things that we see here, they very specifically have physical Things about them, physical repercussions or physical effects. And so the first thing he talks about is leprosy. We see there in Numbers chapter 5. And so leprosy is kind of a general term for skin disease, a, a, a skin disease that would seem to be contagious, And so whenever God is telling Moses and he's telling these people, like, there's a process that when people have this, they need to go outside the camp. He's not doing that to, uh, to exclude people or to push people out of the kingdom work that he's doing. He's doing it to protect the people. Right? He's doing it to protect them from infection. He's, he's, he's doing this to protect them from uh, this spread. You know, uh, just some research I did this past week. There are 354 current skin diseases, most of which are contagious. And that's in our modern medical world. Can you imagine in a lot less hygienic state of life that these people would have lived in? A lot less medication, zero vaccines and different things that you navigate you know, so like this medical world is very dirty. And so he's telling them, we have to take physical precautions. This is the God of the universe leaning into where people are worried about a skin disease. Because God cares about us in that capacity. God cares about his people. And so he's, he's acknowledging the physical defilement that sin has caused for the world. And he's telling them, this is how you deal with that. You need to put, you need to put them outside the camp, taking precautions and care to contain the spread of these diseases for the medical provisions of their camps. And so it's, that's, that's it. At its base level, He's speaking of protecting His people. Then the second thing He talks about is a discharge or some type of drainage. I know that sounds really gross, but you know, this is like lunch talk for me at work. But you know, this is infectious drainage, and, and contact would cause infection. You know, contact would cause a spread. And so again, God instructing His people medically to take care of them physically because He cares about them. And then the last thing he talks about is those who touch a dead body. You know, and, and in a lot of ways, they're not going to know the cause of death of these individuals. And so he's, he's speaking again of caring for them, you know, of, of, of separating them, not to completely exclude them forever, but to go through a cleaning process. And Leviticus talks about this. Leviticus 14:8 talks about this cleaning process. He says, "He and he who is to be cleansed, this is talking about people who either have the discharge, leprosy or the dead have touched a dead body," says, "and he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean." And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. It's just funny because all these timelines and stuff, it sounds like stuff that my wife's a school, KK is a school nurse too. And so she talks about, you know, timelines of people quarantine and all, you know, it's like, that's the world we've lived the past two years. But, you know, it's like this is instruction, real world, practical instruction that God is giving to his people because he cares about his people. You know, and there was this cleaning process. There was this this way in which God was instructing His people in how to take care of themselves in this world that was polluted by the effects of sin. We can't escape it. We can't escape the effects of sin. Listen, all of us have been affected, and I'm not even necessarily right in this moment speaking of physical effects. But we've all been affected by sin, right? Whether it's someone sinning against us, breaking us down, hurting us, disappointing us, or us doing that to someone else, being the the perpetuator of it. And that's the beautiful thing about God in the midst of all this pollution that negatively affects us. God leans into that space. As simplistic as it seems like, why would the God of the universe be worried about a skin disease? Why would He be worried about somebody's drainage? You know, like why would God be concerned about that? Because God cares about His people. God cares about those who are His. And He leans into this space in the beginning of of this journey towards His promises. And He reveals to them. He reveals to them what to do. He reveals to them how they need to navigate that space. But there's also, like I said earlier, there's also that spiritual element to it. You know, there is something to say about the holiness of God. You know, and, and he says there in that, in, in that, uh, in verse three, he says, in the midst of which I dwell, talking about the defiling the camp in the midst of which I dwell. And so a lot of times we hear that and, and, and typically the message is like, get the get the mess out of your camp, like get the mess out of your camp, like kind of an excuse and a reason why we just push, 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 push away, push away, push away. But the beautiful spiritual application of this is that the, New Test- the Old Testament is always pointing to something that Christ is going to fix in the New Testament. Something that we couldn't do on our own, that God gave us instructions on how to navigate, Christ comes to fulfill to show us the fix for it. You know, and so we see in Matthew chapter 8, verses 2-4, through 4, we see a situation. So what was the Old Testament instruction? The Old Testament instruction was, put it out of your camp. Put it out of your camp. To keep from defiling or infecting the other people in the camp. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 through 4 says, And behold, a leper, a person with a skin disease, came to him and kneel, knelt before him, talking about Jesus, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So these individuals that for thousands of years leading up to this point had been told like, You're not a part of society. You know, part of the Levitical instruction was that when they were walking into a crowded space, they had to yell out as loud as they could, unclean, unclean, unclean. If they had leprosy, if they had a discharge, if they had touched a dead body, they had to let people know, which like we said, is physical protection. But can you imagine people navigating that space, the length of time that they were living in that space without the touch of another person? But what did Christ do? I love that Jesus reveals to us that God, that there's nothing, nothing that keeps God from reaching His people. There's nothing that that stops God from reaching into the dirtiest spaces to pull us out. There's nothing, there's nothing that keeps God from leaning in to where we are. And I love that. It says that Jesus stretched out His hand. Can you imagine for this person... What it must have felt like to feel the touch of someone else's hand on them. When for so long they had to literally call people off. Like, unclean, get away from me. You have to. It's the law. It's the rules. Matthew 9, 18-22 says, While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Another instance at which someone normally would have been excluded, excluded from touch, excluded from that community, excluded from being able to approach anyone in this regard. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, hey, you're made well because of the touch, because you're close, because of your faith to know that in the pollution of sin, you knew exactly where to go to be healed, to be cleansed, to be brought into community. And where was that? It was with Christ Jesus and then a continuation of where that story began in, 9, in Matthew 9, 23-26, as Jesus goes to the daughter of this ruler who is dead. It says says, When Judah, Jude, Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in, in the crowd making a commotion, He said, Go away, for this girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at Him. But when the crowd had, put, had been put outside, He went in and took her by the hand and took her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Can you see where Christ came to perfect what the law never could? To bring about inclusion for people. A work that only God can do. No one else could do this. No man, no ruler, no king could do what Christ came to do. And so in all the physical defilement that we navigate in the pollution of this world that we live in with sin, Christ came to be that rescue in the midst of that. That in the spaces where no one else could touch, Christ literally reaches his hand in and grabs a hold. In the midst of all the pollution, Christ is the rescue that we desperately need. Christ is the rescue that we desperately need. Because for us, because for us, church, we navigate in our own pollution. Even though it's not physical for for some of us. There is a spiritual pollution that we are infected with and it's sin. It's sin. And we are infected with it. It is contagious because our sin causes other people to sin. Our sin can draw other people into the sin that we're committing and, and bring them in to be involved. Have you ever peer pressured anybody or brought them or convinced them to do something that you know is wrong, but you wanted them to be a part of it also because it makes you feel better about participating in it? We are infected. We are contagious. And the Bible tells us that by our nature, by, by our physical birth, we are dead in our sin and trespasses. We are dead. But what does God's word tell us? This is the beautiful celebration of life that we gather here today for. Revelations 1.5, it says, He loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. This is the washing that He does in our lives to make us clean. This is that process that we could not do on our own that Christ Jesus came to cleanse us, to make us from ceremonially unclean to make us clean and accepted to make us His people, to make us a part of the community. Hebrews 9, 13-14, it says that the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Christ is doing that cleansing for us to make us able to move from the infected, to move from from those who are contagious, those who are dead, to those who are living. And that the life that we live, we live in Christ. That the life that we live, we live to spread. The life that we live, we live to be infected with this. With the love that Christ has given us. The, the life and the light that Christ has given us to be. The salt of the earth that he has called us to be. Those people that are active and present and seen in the world that we live in. And having been cleansed by faith. And then in Hebrews 10.10 10, it says, When we have been made holy or clean through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And this is important. Because not everybody in this community would practice this belief that when you're cleansed, you're cleansed once and for all. And that there may be other places you would go where they would tell you differently, that you're only cleansed by if you're good enough to be cleansed. And that there's this process of re-cleansing that has to happen. My Bible tells me that you're cleansed once and for all. Now that's, I'm not saying that that means that we can live, and we'll get to this a little bit further down as we get into the second part. But it doesn't mean that we can live however we want, and no matter what we do. That God's going to forgive us and then we can just continue to live in an active state of sin against Him in rebellion constantly? No, that's not what that means because there's a, certain, there's a certain something that comes from us as a result. Does it mean that we do more harm sometimes than we do good? Absolutely. Are we more polluted than we are clean sometimes in our life? Absolutely. But that's why we praise God that the Bible tells us His mercies are new every day. And I don't know about you, but I desperately need that. Until he tells us that there's a cleansing that has happened. There's a cleansing that has happened that removes us from the requirements of the law. The requirements of the law that told us that there were only certain foods, there were only certain things, there were only certain ways you could do. And what God did is he took this very exclusive thing that was only for his people at that time. It was only for the people of Israel because he was building them up, like we've been talking about, preparing them for what he had. Taking this very exclusive thing and turning it into the most exclusive, inclusive community that's ever existed. Whereas the Old Testament church was only this group of people born of these people. Has now become who we are today. A people of God that are not like those people. But share in the same community as those, those, those people now because of the work that Christ has done to open those doors for us to step in. Christ's sacrifice is the basis, church, for our cleansing from sin and from all the uncleanliness that we navigate. Yes, He's speaking specifically to to physical things in a lot of ways here. Absolutely. I truly believe He is being, and maybe it's just my medical mind, He is being very medical right now, trying to protect them physically. But there is very much so a spiritual application of the infectious disease of sin that we've been born into that we've taken on through our physical birth, that Christ has come to fix. An infectious, contagious disease that no one who leans into our space can fix but Jesus. And we invite Him into that. And so, not only is there a defilement of the body, but then the second thing is this. And remember, we're talking about a God who is building up a group of people to prepare them to go to war, to take on the promises that He's given them. And so not only is there a defilement of the body, but then the second thing and last thing is this, and we'll be done, guys, is a defilement of their unity. Defilement of their unity. We're going to read Numbers chapter 5, read verses 5 through 7. says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin and that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it, and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. Church, the worst way to fight with an enemy... Is with a group of people who lack unity. The worst way to fight an enemy is with an army that lacks unity. And so, what God is doing here is He's laying before them this kind of plan like, hey, if you've done wrong to someone, if you've done wrong to someone, then there is a process at which you go for what? For restoration. There's a process that you should go through to see those things made new, to be made better. God begins to lay out a plan in the midst of the brokenness of the world that leads us. In reality, if we acknowledge it truthfully, our world leads us to lie, cheat, and steal our way to success if it makes me feel better about myself. In the midst of a world that calls you to lie, cheat, and steal, that you're at the center of the universe, God begins to lay out a plan on how to make those things right. That is not strictly for punishment's sake, but it's all for, also for a restoration of unity. That He's trying to create pathways for people that have wronged each other to make things right. Listen, and that's God's intention throughout the whole Bible, is this idea. And, and the New Testament even talks about this. When you have conflict with a brother or a sister in Christ, you go to that person and you deal with it. The worst thing for a group of people that gather together, the worst thing for the people of God to ever do is when you have issue or when you've been sinned against, is to keep it in a dark corner, or talk about it in dark corners with other people. And you know what that does? That spreads like cancer. He tells us, when he's talking about restoring unity, he lays out a pathway where you deal with those things. You acknowledge those things. You face those things together to figure them out. And there's three elements of this. There's three elements of this that are vital for restoration. There's three elements of this that are vital for unity in the midst of a community of people. There's three elements, and he lays these things out. And the first thing we see here is repentance. What does it say? It says that the person realizes his guilt. And so what is repentance? You know, we talk about that in church spaces sometimes, but repentance is an act of recognition and self-evaluation to acknowledge within yourself what has been done wrong. You, You see how the first step of that isn't to see what everyone else has done wrong. The first step of that is to see what have I done wrong. Like, how have I contributed to this issue? Like, what have I done to make this a problem? Doesn't mean that we be a doormat to people. But as a Christian, there's a sense of humility we step into every conflict with. And there needs to be, and you know, repentance isn't a moment. Repentance is a lifestyle. We should be living in a constant state of repentance anyway in our life. Because if we're, if we're true to ourselves and, and, and honest with ourselves, then we would say, like, God, I need to repent. I need this active recognition and self-evaluation as I navigate life. And so he tells him the first thing you do when restoring unity, when someone's been hurt or sinned against, he says, is repentance. Is that the individual needs to repent. The second thing is this, is confession. It's an outward proclamation of what's been done, Not vaguely. Not vaguely what's been done, specifically. What has been done? Taking ownership of wrongdoing. Restoration cannot happen first without repentance, without self-evaluation. And the second thing is confession. Acknowledgement specifically of the wrong that we have done. Whether that wrong has been seen or whether that wrong's in the dark. Because what does God's Word say? He says everything will be brought to light. If it's not brought to light now, it will be brought to light here whether it's five minutes or five years from now, it's going to be brought to light. And one way or the other, we're going to have to face it. So what does he say? Confess. Confess specifically to the wrong that we've committed. And then the third thing is this. It's restitution. Restitution, church, is an intentional step of replacing or filling the absence of what's been taken, plus additional. You know, I have to say this would be a, a great model For us to live by, in the sense of our legal system. Can you imagine this? An open state of repentance, confession required, and then a restitution that not only fills the need of what's been taken, but then goes beyond that goes beyond what's been required. He says here adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. And it even says that if the person that the wrong was done to isn't alive anymore, you give it to the next of kin. If the next of kin isn't alive, then you give it to the church. He says you give it to the priests. He says one way or the other, we need to go above and beyond to make things right. If we've hurt people, if we've sinned, if we've done something wrong, the Bible calls us to a state of repentance, confession, and then restitution where we lean into that space. We try to fill the hole of what we've done wrong plus some. And listen, maybe it's not always monetary or physically, physical things that we do, but maybe it's emotional. If we've hurt, I know for me as a husband, if I've hurt my wife emotionally, I need to do much more than just make up for it. I need to go above and beyond. I need to lean into that space. Because in, in restitution, there's a sense of replacement, but there's also a sense of proving Proving our character, proving what we know is right, proving what we know about people and what they deserve, that as a, as a creature, a person created in the, in, the, in the image of God, that people deserve to be treated a certain way, regardless of what they think or what they believe or how they act. And so if we hurt someone, and this is for us, we need to be self-evaluating constantly. Have you hurt someone? Have you hurt someone? Like, let's not get in a... A lot of times when we talk about these things... We get very external where we're like, who are all those people that have hurt me? And, and man, they need to start confessing and repenting and, and, and rest- they need to give me restitution. No, this isn't for you to cause for someone else to do. I'm asking for us as individuals to acknowledge ourselves. Have we hurt someone? Have we done something wrong? Have we committed a sin that has dis- disconnected the unity of, maybe it's your family unit. Maybe it's the people under your home. This, that's where it always has to start, is the immediate people that you're closest to. Have I heard someone? You know, how do I navigate that space where I've disrupted that unity? Do I follow these steps of repentance and confession and seeking restitution? You know, like I said, maybe it's not monetary or physical. I mean, if, if, if me and someone in my family has an issue, I, I'm not gonna, you know, if it's an emotional issue, I'm not gonna make that better by giving them money to go buy something. I mean, they may like that for a moment, but it's not gonna fix the issue. I've got to give of myself. Restitution is all about humility. Because it takes a lot of humility for one, to acknowledge we've done wrong, to say what we've done wrong, and then to give something willingly to fill that hole, to fill that space that something's been taken out of, but then to go above that even more so to try to make things right. Making things right isn't just replacing what's been taken, it's giving more. So how do we enter in? Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our parenting. Whatever it might be, we lean into that space when we're trying to make things right. We give of ourselves not only to feel what's been taken, the hurt, the hole that hurt has caused, not only to feel that hole, but then to go above that. To give of ourselves above that as a show of good measure that we truly do care, not just to replace what's been taken, but to give more. The humility that's there. That's what Christ has called us to. This restoration of something lost. Listen, and 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 the thing about it, this restitution, general repentance and confession, it it leads us to a desire to repay wrongs. You know, and, and... I don't know about you, but, you know, especially living in a community that I grew up in, like, there's a lot of times where I see people, you know, I go to a high school reunion, or I do something, and I think to myself, like, golly, like, I did them wrong. Like, and I, I, I hope and pray sometimes, like, how can I make this better? Like, and, and it should be our heart. Like, how do we, how do we make something better? How do we fill a hole? You know, and, and a lot of times people don't necessarily want that, but for us, we need to be seeking ways at which we make things right. We make things right, not for our own self to feel good, because as a a Christian, we're not pointing back to ourselves. We're pointing to Jesus. We're pointing to who he is. And so we need to be seen enough to be able to allow those things to play out so that we can point people to God and say, listen, all those wrongs that I've done, you know, that next level of restitution that we can give people. They may not want us, but we can give them Jesus because that's going to be that next level of giving. That's going to be above what I can do to fill the hole of hurt that I've caused in someone is to point them to Christ, to point them to who saved me, who took me, who, who took me as the leper I was, who took me as the the, the filthy, polluted man that I was reached into the space where I was and pulled me out of that, pulled me out of that, cleansed me not by my own power, but by his. And He provided me with something. He provided me with direction. Because all of this, ultimately, church, it points to a bigger story. Luke chapter 19, a familiar story for us, but I just want to read it as it's kind of a reflection of what we're talking about. This defilement of unity. In verse, uh, chapter 19 of Luke, in verse 1... So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. From what Zacchaeus says here, we can gather a couple of things. The first thing is this: that he has been guilty of defrauding people. He is Affected and, and this is, Zacchaeus was a Jewish man and he was doing these things to his own people. And so for these people in their culture, that was like the worst thing you could do as a tax. And they would always get these men to be tax collectors. They would be taxing their own people and profiting on their own people. And so they hated them. So it was affecting the unity of this man to his people, to his Jewish people, the people that were his people. He would have been removed from them because of the unity, the, the disruption in the unity. So one thing we can see is that he had been guilty of defrauding people. The second thing is this, is that he was remorseful over his past actions. And the third thing being that he was committed to making restitution. He wanted to make it right. To fix unity, you have to have these elements. And then from Jesus' words, we can see this, that Zacchaeus was saved that day and his sins were forgiven. Salvation, church, salvation. Salvation for Zacchaeus didn't come because of what he did. What he did was a result of his salvation. Within Zacchaeus, he knew, before he even interacted with Jesus, we see his desire to see Jesus. That in itself is a reflection of Zacchaeus' salvation. What we do for people is a representation of what Christ is already doing in us. Zacchaeus' pursuit of Jesus was a reflection of his heart for Jesus before he even met Jesus. Because that's how God works in us. When God begins a good work, Philippians tells us that God began a good work in us. He will bring it to completion. That if God started something, that He will finish it. And the salvation of our souls, God says He will bring to completion. He tells us here that Zacchaeus was saved that day and his sins were forgiven because and the evidence of the salvation was both in his public confession and his relinquishing of his goods, trying to make things right. Church, and that's what God has invited us into. That's what God has invited us into. As the band comes up, and we're going to worship this morning a little bit as we finish off, but... Romans 10, verses 10-11 through says this, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. You know, and I think this is the thing, this is the barrier for us a lot of times, and for us this morning, I pray that we can truly evaluate this within ourselves. That the thing for us That fear with us of shame keeps us back. The fear of shame keeps us back. Because what do we have to face through repentance and confession? What do we have to face? We have to face where we're wrong. We have to face where we have need. We have to face where we've failed. And so a lot of times in engaging those things, there's a fear of shame. There's a fear of living in the shame of those things if we have to acknowledge those things. And for a lot of us, we'll push those things off to the side and never truly face them, keeping ourselves from truly ever experiencing what God has for us because we're afraid of what? We're afraid of shame. But what does God's Word tell us? It says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame everyone who confesses their sin openly says they won't be put to shame. Everyone who believes in his heart and is justified, the person who acknowledges a reflection, a repentance, who acknowledges that I am wrong. I am wrong. I have failed and I need something outside of myself to save me. He says that person will not be put to shame. Because at that moment, our care and our commitment and our identity isn't in ourself and it isn't in the people around us, it's in Christ. The moment that we get through that process, through the, the defilement of the unity that we had with God, we were, our, the unity we had with God was disrupted in the Garden of Eden. And through all of history, There's been a process of cleansing that defilement until Christ came once and for all that that defilement is cleansed, that His people are made holy to do what? Through the Old Testament, all that cleansing was so that they could be in the presence of a holy God. For us, Christ comes to cleanse us so that we can celebrate without shame without guilt with confidence and courage celebrate the presence of god in christ jesus dwelling in our lives this holy spirit of god dwelling in us lead guide directing us to live in confidence to step into the spaces that he's given us in confidence to be a people that are unified in confidence to not live under shame that acknowledging that i'm weak acknowledging that i'm broken acknowledging that i can't do it on my own is not shame not shame. If I was still doing that on my own, it would be shame because I I would constantly be reminded of my failure. But in Christ Jesus, we do not find shame. Shame is a prison. Shame is shackles. We don't live in shame anymore. Are there ripple effects of our sin that we may engage with on and off again? Absolutely. But it's not meant to be shame constantly spoke about his failure he constantly spoke about where he lacked perfection constantly but he didn't speak of those things to lump on shame he spoke of those things to reveal what Christ had saved him from not to live there but to use that as a launching point for everything he would do from that moment that yes, this is who I was. Yes, this is what I've done. Yes, this is how I've hurt people. But you know what? Christ saved me there. He saved me from there. And so this point is gonna be a launching point for everything that I've done here, that I should have more confidence, that I should have more courage, that I should have more ammunition against the enemy to say, no, 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 you're not gonna remind me about that to keep me there. I've been released from that to live in this. And so that as I lean into the life of my kids and my family, that I don't have to live under the shame of who I was here, but I can live from the shame that I was there. To live in confidence of who Christ is and invite others into that space. Into that room. Into that portion that God's given me and that God has given you. And so the honest evaluation, listen, we don't do... A typical invitation there's always an invitation you don't need a five minute moment for me to tell you you're invited to the table of god we say that all service all through worship every moment that we gather here but truly this morning i pray that we take an evaluation of our status before a holy god god have i ever truly repented re- evaluated self-evaluated myself to acknowledge my needs believe in my heart that I need something outside of myself to fix it. And the second thing being this, confessing. Making an acknowledgement of my sin. Like there are things that I've done wrong. Specific things, God. Forgive me for these things. Release me from these things. Move me beyond these things. And the second thing or the third thing would be restitution. But the thing with that church is that God's done the heavy lifting with that gave us Christ Jesus on our behalf. He's paid the price and beyond once and for all. All He does is He says, accept accept the gift of grace. Remember, grace is getting more than we deserve. And what has He done? He's given us the restitution to give on our behalf. He's given us the sacrifice that we could never have had on our own. He's given us Christ Jesus. He's given us a righteousness that we can never be on our own. And He says, this is yours to have and to be represented as. So take it. Church, I, I don't know where you're at. But if you've never accepted that restitution on your behalf, the work of Jesus on the cross for yourself to move out from under the shame of sin, And I pray you do that. I pray you follow that up with a pro- public proclamation of your faith in Jesus through visualization and through baptism. I mean, this is what God has given us to make this confession public, to let people know that I've chosen Christ as my restitution. I couldn't pay it back on my own the debt is too big the the requirements is too much I can't do it Christ can be your restitution Christ can be the facilitator of your redemption and your restoration if we will lean towards him and take a seat at his his table and accept the gift that he's given us So, church can we pray this morning before we worship together God, to work in that way. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for someone else in your life that you know needs it. But let it always begin with self evaluation before we move outside of ourselves. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that even as we move into a space of repentance, As we lean into spaces of confession and verbal confession, physical confession, Lord, sometimes we can look at the requirements of restitution, the payback, the fixing, the filling the holes. Lord, and it can just seem like too insurmountable of a a debt. There's no way. Father God, I pray that we would be reminded that you've paid that debt for us. God, that you've made a deposit on that restitution that we could never do on our own. Father God, I pray this morning that if we've been held back by the fear of what we can't pay back, that this morning that we would be reminded, God, that we would be confident to know that you've paid the price. Lord, that you've set a seat at your table and that you've invited us to come. Father God, I pray this morning we could worship in confidence. Lord, I pray this morning that we could respond in confidence. Lord, I pray this morning that as the broken, sinful people that we are, Lord, that we would know that in all our filthiness, in all our defilement, in all our pollution, that you sent Christ Jesus to lean into the dirty spaces where we are and to grant us healing and cleansing so that we can be made new God, let us worship and live in that confidence this morning. God, we love you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus.